0: Well, good morning, church. How are you? Good. We seem tired. (laughs) Are are we tired? How many of you are tired? Get over it. Okay? We came in. It just seemed one of You know, every once in a while, your church just seems a little tired. So, uh, don't be tired, okay? Uh, And I'm glad you're here. I welcome you. I want you to take your Bible. And I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 4, Okay? We're also going to be looking in the book of Genesis chapter 15, and so if you're quick with your fingers, go to Romans 4 and then Romans, uh, Genesis 15, but it'll be a moment before we get there, okay? I want to spend at least the next two weeks digging out some incredible gold uh, from this chapter, okay? At least two weeks. We may spend three weeks. Depends on how the Lord leads it. Actually, Romans 4 was going to be my Easter message. And uh, God, in the process of preparing and thinking about Easter and all that, God kind of redirected my, my thoughts. And so when Easter got over with, and uh, after last week when Lisa bailed out on us, I, uh, I decided to, I mean, what can you say? She just left. Bam. There you are. You're gone, you know. And so uh, I thought what I would do is come back to Romans 4 and spend maybe a week or two with you there. Some incredible things, okay? Um, let me just tell you, First three chapters of Romans. If you've ever read much in Romans, you kind of get the idea uh, that that Paul is setting forth very clearly that all nations are composed of people who are sinners. He he wants us to know that sin is universal, that Jews are sinners, that Gentiles are sinners. Very clearly does he tell us in these first three chapters that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, God's standard. He tells us very clearly that there are none righteous, no, not one. When Paul says all have sinned, you know what the word all means? It means dawn, yeah. It means all. All have sinned. I think I'm in there too somewhere. All have sinned. There are none righteous, no, not one okay and so he wants us to understand that sin is something that that we're born with and as soon as we're old enough to do anything we begin to sin kids the first word out of their mouth is mine where did they get that you know it's a natural thing okay and part of leading in to chapter four is that thought that all have sinned all have come short of the glory of god he wants us to know that no one can be saved. And by the way, being saved is just not going to heaven. We emphasize that. That's certainly true. And it's a blessing to us when our loved ones like Peggy goes on to that. But salvation is more than that. I think, I think sometimes we overemphasize the dessert. Okay? The fact of the matter is this, that salvation is a relationship with God the moment that it begins a relationship. The moment that God chooses to convict you of your sin, draw you in conviction to himself, and applies eternal life into your heart, at that moment salvation takes place. And gang, it's for all of this life. It's for all of this life. It should affect everything in your life. The way you think, the way you act, the way you talk, where you go, what you do, who you do it with, all of that is, in, is involved in salvation. And then at the end, when it's all over with, guess what? We get heaven. And Paul in Romans really clearly wants us to know that you cannot have a relationship with God and you can't go to heaven when you die on your own you don't have the ability to do that you don't have enough merit or goodness or self-righteousness to pave your way to heaven you just can't do that And, and i believe this that if there's any doctrine that our enemy in in fact god's enemy desires to undercut and distort in the church. It's the doctrine of salvation, and we're going to deal with that today. You see, when confusion arises in this area, then error arises, and when error arises, men stay in their sin, and when men stay in their sin, judgment ensues, and ultimately, hell is the outcome. So let me tell you what's going on in chapter 4. It's a, ch- chapter 4 <coughs> marks a little bit of a, of a break or a change in Paul's writing. And let me tell you what he does. It's interesting. It blew my mind. In fact, I wasn't even going to do the first four, verse, four, first four or five verses. But I want to tell you, it just overwhelmed me. Because what Paul does, he dips back into time, or he, he dips back into history. And he sets forth the illustration of Abraham, and I'm going to develop that. And he talks about that with Abraham, salvation, the doctrine of salvation, is justification by faith alone without any human merit. Not even a smidgen of human merit. Not even a smidgen of good work. Even as well-intentioned as it may be, it cannot have anything of man or it could not be according to grace. Now, if you grew up in church much, you—it's especially in kids' church or BBS or along those lines, you've heard of Father Abraham. Remember the song, Father Abraham had many sons? How many of you remember that? Never like that have you ever remembered, okay? We've all kind of grew up with Father Abraham, okay? Father, Father Abraham, or Abraham, Abram, before he was converted, was the greatest Of all the Jewish leaders, okay? Everybody recognized that. Now, there were some great leaders in Israel. Uh, Moses, man, what a great leader he was. The giver of the law. David, my goodness, what a king, huh? Great king of Israel. Elijah, a great prophet, okay? But for the nation of Israel, there was none greater than Abraham. Abraham was the greatest... And they all recognized it. And so how Abraham found a favor with God is very important. And so Paul begins this change in chapter 4 by throwing out Abraham as the illustration. And if Abraham, he's going to tell us, cannot be saved by his works, then nobody can be saved by their works. If anybody could be saved by their works, the greatest of the Jew, Abraham could. But Paul's going to tell us, Abraham can't, okay? And that's going to be my theme. Would you stand with me in honor of God's word? And I want us to look at Romans chapter 4, and we'll, be, we'll read verses 1 through 8 together, okay? Notice how we—this may not grab you guys. Let me just set, do a sidebar. This may not grab you. It may not overwhelm you. It may not just blow your mind like it did me. But I tried to place myself with the, the readers to whom Paul is writing. And here was this patriarch, this great, great man, who they all recognize as the greatest. And Paul's going to say he couldn't, and if he couldn't, You can't. You understand that? Immediately he throws Abraham into the mix. What then shall we say? That Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh, has found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. Ah, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but what is done. A wage is what you earn from what you do. You got that? But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, that's Don. His faith is credited as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing On the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven. Whose sin has been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. And I hope you get this. I hope you get this. Number one, I hope you get it because you may realize you've been trusting in works to be saved and you're lost. Secondly, I hope you get it, because if you are saved, it ought to release you from any kind of performance. It ought to release you, by grace, into the joy of what it really means to be in a relationship with Almighty God. Father, in Jesus' name, help a feeble preacher share an infallible truth to these dear people. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thanks. Be seated, okay? There's two words in our text today that's going to be very important, okay? In fact, probably important in next week too, depending on how God leads us, all right? One is the word justified. And if you notice, you may not have, but when we read it, we'll reread some of these verses. The word justified is used twice. I'm going to define that term a little bit later for you, okay? The main word is the word credited, or your Bible might have reckoned. Um, How many have reckoned? Two. Wow. How many have credited? What is the others? What are the other translations? I meant to look King James. Counted. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to find that, define that. It's used five times in our text. But when you read chapter 4, it's used 11 times. It's an amazing word, and it's the most dominant word in the chapter. Okay? Now, when Paul wrote this letter, here was the question that he proposed to them to wrestle with. How was it? That Abraham found favor with God. How was it that Abraham was justified? Now, like I said, if there's one thing that was universal through all of the nation of Israel, over all of their history, was that Abraham was righteous. They realized, they knew, everybody knew, that Abraham found favor with God, that he was justified. But the question Paul poses to them is, how did it come about? He had spent three chapters telling everybody that everybody is a sinner, including Abraham. History teaches us that Abraham was born and raised in a wicked world. Er the Chaldeans, called by God to go out. Well, how did that happen? How was he justified? And so Paul's idea is this. If they could get that answer, and the verses are going to show it, if they could get that answer, then they would have the answer for themselves. Okay? So let's do this first. Let's take a little trip back into history. That's why I want you to go to Genesis chapter 15. Okay, take your Bible. Keep keep your finger in Romans if you can. But I want us to go to Genesis chapter 15, and I want to take a a page of history with Abraham. Then I want to come back, and I want to define those two terms. And then I want to try to to sum it up if I can. Okay, let me me paint the picture. I I think what we ought to do, first of all, is is read Genesis 15, 1 through 6. Okay? Genesis chapter 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram. He Remember, he's not Abraham yet. Abram in a vision saying, do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless? And the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. What he was saying is this is the rational thing. I don't have any kids. And if you know the story, he's pretty old. His wife is old, so it can't happen. So human rationality is, hey, he's going to be someone who is my servant. And verse 4 says, behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this man will not be your heir. But one who will come forth from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside, and he said, Now look toward the heavens. Count the stars if you can. These will be your descendants. Now let me tell you what's going on. In Genesis chapter 15, we find Abraham, Abram just coming off a tremendous victory. He had rescued his nephew Lot. I think perhaps if you read into it a little bit, he was probably very physically tired. I think he was emotionally spent and probably spiritually worn out as well, okay? Perhaps he had begun to fear reprisals. That's not uncommon. Let me just do a side note. Anytime you extend yourself physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, all of that, it's not uncommon to have a down moment just to feel like and and dream, and dream up monsters, well, in Abraham, I think he was just dead dog tired, okay? And he was perhaps fearing reprisals from the enemy. And so we have this wonderful story, and, and the idea is this, and you've got to hang with me, okay? Generally, Abraham says, I'm old. My wife is old. We have no children, so we have no heir. All we have is a servant to inherit it all. God answers, no way, Abraham. From your own body shall come forth your heir. And if you allow your imagination a little bit, Abraham says, what? I mean, I can just see him. God, I'm a little old. Look at my wife. Look at my old lady, huh? And she's thinking, look at my old man. How is this going to happen? And so God takes him outside. He said, come on, Abraham, come with me. Let's go outside and look. And he says, Abraham, look up. Look to the heavens. Count the stars if you can. And Abraham... That's how many errors you're going to have. And here's the key in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. He believed in the Lord. And there's that word, counted, imputed, reckoned to him as righteousness. Gang, here's what happens. That word, believe, in the Old Testament, is the word, amen. Abraham. With all this stuff going on, looks up and he saw all those stars. And God says, that's how many descendants you're going to have. And Abraham says, amen, God. I believe you. I trust in you. And the Bible says, God deposited into his account righteousness. And my dear friend, you might be the greatest leader in all the world. You may be a good person striving your best, but your striving isn't quite good enough. God has to do something, just like He did to Abraham. God has to deposit in your life His God righteousness. It can never be self righteousness. And a little bit later, I want to kind of draw that together if I can. Okay, go back to Romans with me, Romans 4, okay? Paul uses this experience to show them. At least to try to show them. I don't know that they got it. But to show us, and I'll tell you, I'm not sure that we get it. That the basis of salvation is faith. It's never by works. It's never by merit. It is never by self-righteousness. The only basis by which man can stand before a holy God and find favor with a holy God is a God-righteousness, and that's an imputed righteousness, a deposited righteousness, and that comes from a sovereign God according to his elective grace. That's why in Romans chapter 4, beginning verse 2, read it with me again through verse 5, for if Abraham was justified by works, he can boast, but he can't before God. Because the Bible says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now the one who works, his wages not credited as a favor, but what is due. The wages of sin is death, you see. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Now let me... Let me define some terms, okay? The word a reckoned, counted, it's used five times here, 11 times in the chapter. It's the main word in the chapter. It means a deposit or an account credit. Say, for example, uh, you go to the bank in the morning, and you know you've got $250 in the account which is probably not too far off, or maybe we should say 50, which is not too far off. Okay, And you go to the bank, and you look at your account, or the lady draws up the account and says, you've got $5,000. And you say, no, I've got $50. And that lady says, somebody dumped in a whole lot of money in your account. Somebody credited you. With a lot of money. That's what that term means. It's a financial term. It means to deposit into your account in the instance here of spiritual stuff. It's a sovereign deposit. Sometimes translated reckon, counted, imputed. It is where God deposits into your account the perfect righteousness of the Son of God. He deposits it into the sinner's account. And because he does, he looks at you as totally sinless, forgiven, fully just. That's what he had to do with Abraham. Paul says that's what he's got to do for you guys. And I tell you, that's what he has got to do for us. The word justified is that legal declaration. The other is a financial term. This is a legal term that God counts the sinner not guilty, accepted by him, all based upon the work of another who is perfect, who kept the law in all points, the Lord Jesus Christ. Beloved, that's why Abraham was saved. And that's why Abraham could not boast. That's why Paul tells his readers, we're saved the same way. Oh, we're not saved at all. Look at verse 4 again. Now, to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, But what does it do? That's why Romans 6.23. I read someone in our church this week. uh, Mary, you put on your, hey, I'm Facebooking with you. You put on your Facebook, Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death. That's physical death. That's spiritual death primarily. The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that's what he's trying to help them understand. In the first three chapters, he very clearly says, all are sinners, all are guilty before God. If there's anybody that could have made it on their own, it was Abraham. And even in Genesis, it had to be deposited into his account. It had to be justification by faith alone, without any works. Now, let me draw it together, if I can. This is... Should have been, I will, I want to say this was a shock to their system. It should have been a shock to their system. For you see, the Jewish system was number one, we are Jews. We are God's favorite, and in a sense, that's right. But the Jewish system was more than just we're God's chosen. You do your best, you live your life. Hopefully your good deeds will outweigh your bad deeds. And and hopefully you can do your life according to the law. And at the end, God will accept you, not realizing today that it just takes one sin to disqualify them from self-justification. Let me tell you what I have learned, that this truth ought to be a shock to our system and to our people but I don't think that it is, okay? So many still think that they can find a favor with God with some kind of action. Not a declaration by God based upon the attributes of his son and the uh, experience of his son and the sacrifice of his son, but based upon themselves. They don't understand that grace changes your attitude and your actions, changes your manners and your motivations. Let me tell you why I think that. In these 30 years, I want to invite you into my study for a moment. And as people come in to see me, vast majority now, I'm telling you, 30 years, either in my office or in the home or somewhere visiting with people who have come seeking some kind of answers. Invariably, I will say to them, if you were to die today, are you certain Absolutely certain that you would go to heaven. Now, let me tell you what most of them will say. In fact, if I were to ask that to you, maybe some here this morning, you would answer, Well, I uh I think so, yeah. I uh gosh, I hope so. I mean, I, I, I think so, yeah. And so my next question is: well, uh, what is the basis of that answer? I mean if you were to die and stand before the Lord, and he says, Why should I let you in? What what would you what would you say? I want you to listen to me. By far. I don't want to put a percentage on it, but it's by far. By far. 90 percentile, somewhere up in that area. Here's what the answer here's what some of your answers would be. Well, you know, I know that. Man, I haven't been perfect, you know. I know that I, I don't go to church like I should. I, uh, I, you know, I make mistakes, but, you know, I, I generally tried to do right. I've tried generally to live right. I've tried to be a good husband or wife or father or mother or teenager, you know, and so I. I think I would go because I've tried to be a good person. Mm-mm. Wrong answer, gang. You see, this morning, if that, would have been your, if that is your answer, that's wrong. That's eternally wrong. That's a Jewish answer. Because hmm? they believed you had to do something. It's a Catholic answer. Hmm? Because Catholics believe you've got to do something. You've got to join God in the process of grace. Unfortunately, for so many, it's become a Baptist answer. Because I am convinced that many, many people who call themselves Baptists give that same answer. And if that is your answer, then you're eternally wrong. And you'll spend eternity separated from God in hell. That's what Paul was trying to tell the church at Rome. That's why he used Abraham. It's by grace alone that is justified through faith alone. And if it's not that, then you're in trouble. Listen to me. If Abraham couldn't save himself by his works, don't you think for one moment you can. And if he didn't have a chance, you don't have a chance. I want to take you as I close verse 7 and 8. This, again, is Old Testament. They should have connected to this. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven, whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. That word take into account is that same word reckoned, imputed, counted. Here's what Paul writes. Blessed is the man, God does not deposit his sin into his account. Those who are justified by faith, God deposits his righteousness in there. That's why, okay, listen, that's why when someone gets a deposit of righteousness, while not perfect, his life changes. You read Abraham, he wasn't perfect, he made some mistakes along the way, but there was this deposit of righteousness that positively changed His life, his manners began to change. His attitude, his his actions began to change because God deposited his righteousness into him. But if you think you can be saved by your works, then it's not God-righteousness, it's self-righteousness. And the only two options when it comes down to salvation... Now listen, the only two options... When it comes down to salvation, is God-righteousness or self-righteousness? And if you're basing your salvation on self-righteousness and you're 100% self-righteous, then go ahead and boast. You can boast before God. You can say to God, God, look at me. I've kept the law, every jot and tittle. I've done everything the law said. I stand before you justified based upon me and my actions. But if you can't say that, then you better fall humbly before God. And you better repent of your sin. And you better Do like Abraham. Amen, God. I believe what you say. And then you'll move from self-righteousness to God-righteousness. And you'll be saved. Again, I want to close with something I just said. And I want you to listen to me. This is very important. By far, by far, most of the people through all of these years that have grown up in church, that have attended church, that sit in my office, and I ask that second question to, they say, I've tried to do my best. And it's wrong. Wrong answer. It's a damnation answer. The only answer is that I believe in Jesus Christ and His righteousness. In what Jesus Christ did on the cross. I believe by faith, that it it is Christ alone. That's the right answer. Now, what's your answer? Huh? What's your answer today? I want you to pray with me, okay? Barbara's going to come. And in just a quiet moment in this room, as Barbara is playing softly, Let me ask you a few questions. Did you understand what Paul was doing when he threw Abraham into the mix? Can you imagine the shock that it must have been to their system when they realized that if anybody could, Abraham could, but Abraham couldn't? Oh, what a jolt it must have been when they realized that if Abraham can't, Can I lovingly say to you and ask you, perhaps, is this a jolt to your system? It ought to be a jolt to our system. It ought to be a jolt to our hearts. That it is by grace alone, justified by faith alone, because of the work of Jesus Christ alone, according to the truth of the Word of God alone, and always for the glory of God alone. Is that true in your life? Is it true? Oh, I'm so convinced that it's not true for so many people I love. And so many people that I have the honor humbly, the honor of being their pastor. I'm I'm amazed how through over time God takes a heart convicts the heart and helps them see truth. This is truth. This is eternity. Is it your truth? Father, in Jesus' name. God, not by accident, everyone that's here is here. Not by accident in the next service. It makes no difference, God, whether there's one or a thousand. Truth is the same. Biblical truth. It's not a matter of our feelings or desires or our passions or ideas. It's a matter of truth. This is truth. It comes from your word, which is true. And only truth sets a soul free. Only truth firms up a heart, a soul for eternity. Maybe this morning. Maybe this morning there's some that need to be set free. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. With our heads bowed, no one looking around. Where do you stand on this question? If you were to say to me, you know, Tom, if I was in your office, I would have given that answer, that I'm doing my best. And I've realized that's a wrong answer. That's an answer of hell. I want to trust Christ. I want his grace. And I believe it. Amen to it. Would you be willing to accept that today? You have a decision you need to make. Then you come right now. We'll help you.